have you done now? Oh, Brad, what have you done now? As they said in the film, Back to the Future, where are we going? We don't need roads. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Marty! You've got to come back with me! Where? Back to the future! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time with the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and do we have a show for you today? It's a special edition of Back to the Future, the podcast, where we are taking your questions. Not only are we going to take your questions and discuss about all things Back to the Future with the community, all the pinheads, but we're also going to be... Um, Looking at an article that I found online regarding Back to the Future and several unanswered questions about Back to the Future. Now, I found this article. I read the first question. There are eight more. I just read the first one and said, okay, well, we're going to do this. So I haven't looked at these ahead of time. I don't know what all the questions are. So um, whatever, whatever comes up, comes up. So uh, we're going to talk through all these things together. So... I threw it all to the Twitter, to the Instagram, to the Facebook pages, and we have several questions that have been sent in by fellow pinheads the world around, so I'm going to read them here right now. Let me pull them up here on my handy-dandy smartphone, and let us go to the first question. Tim Plum comes with our first question. He says, I've always wondered what the Western Union guy would have seen if he decided to deliver Doc's letter a few minutes early. Who would be there? Would he even know to go? I guess he means, how would he even know to go? I've always wanted to discuss it. Um, Well, what he would have seen is he would have seen the DeLorean get struck by lightning, right? We're talking about the end of Back to the Future Part 2, where Marty is saying, Doc, be careful, you don't want to get struck by lightning, right? He would have seen the DeLorean flying in the air in 1955, which would have been very odd. It was odd to Biff in 1985, in the beginning of the movie, right? So he would have seen that, and then he would have... He would have known to go because they left instructions for him. My thing is, this guy, the Western Union guy, said he placed a bet with some of the guys in the office, and it looks like he lost, meaning if Marty would have even been there. I would have been completely freaked out if somebody left an envelope for me 70 years ago or or left it at my store 70 years ago. That means, think about this, that means not only a few, everybody, who was working at that Western Union store in 1885, in 1895, in 1905, in 1915, in 1925, in 1935, and conceivably 1945, they would have all been different people. So by the time 1955 comes around, that letter at that specific location would have been handed off by dozens of people, conceivably. And, I mean, do you think that the Western Union back in Hill Valley before it was a fully formed town in 1885 was still in the same location as it is in 1955? Hell no. So it's it's had to have changed over, and I'm pretty sure we see Western Union on on, on Hill, in, in the Hill Valley, you know, uh, court there 
in downtown Hill Valley by the courthouse. So, I mean, maybe it's in the same place, but I'm sure they've renovated. They've moved away from the saloon-style doors and the, and the wooden exterior into something more modern brick, I'm assuming, in 1955. So all the changes, and for that letter to stay in the possession and for the anecdote of give this to Marty McFly in 1955, all these years later, to me, that's kind of crazy. And if I got that letter back in 1885, you know, I'm working at Western Union, Doc gives it to me, I would be thinking, you know, who's this guy think he is? 70 years from now, the average age or life expectancy in the 1880s was like 40 or something like that. You could probably look that up. I'm probably not far off. It's probably between 40, 50, maybe 60 at the oldest. So I don't know. I think that that would be the most curious thing. To me, the Western Union guy did not freak out enough. I'd have been like, what? What? I would, I would, it would have been like Chris Andrews showed me a magic trick where he you know, pulled a dictionary out of his eyelid. I, I would have been freaking out. And I, I don't know how the Western Union guy kept his composure so well after having that in his possession for over 70 years or in Western Union's possession for over 70 years. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, Nick Valentine wants to know, what is your favorite Back to the Future-related memory, be it a screening, a convention, or even just a memorial conversation about the trilogy? Wow, my favorite Back to the Future memory? Hmm. You know, I would say my favorite Back to the Future memory. Okay, I would say when I was young and I was obsessed with the franchise, I um, was at my grandparents' house. I would, I would be at my grandparents' house throughout all the summers, right? And my parents were working, so I'd, I'd be at their house. And my grandmother had this cupboard, or a closet, I guess, of towels and blankets and all kinds of stuff, right? It's called a linen closet, at least in the South. I've never lived anywhere but the South, so I'm, I'm hoping that everyone calls it a linen closet. So she called it a linen closet. I went in there, and she had this this pink quilt blanket. It looked like it was hand-woven. She probably had bought it probably in the 1950s. And I went and got it, and I laid it out in the middle of the floor, and then I took pieces of, of 8 by 10 or, or computer paper, white computer paper, and I taped them together to make long pieces of paper, right? And I did maybe like three sheets each on either side of this blanket. And I took blue and red pins, and I made squiggly lines on the paper all the way up and down on both sides. And I put the movie on and I pretended that I was in a DeLorean. And those were the sparks from the flux capacitor hitting 88 miles per hour. So that was probably like my early, one of my early memories and a fond one. The other memory that I have is going to the DeLorean headquarters, which we played on a, on a previous episode here. And I have a video on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes that wasn't shown in that video. But I have about a four and a half minute video of me sitting inside of their time machine that they had in the lobby that they've subsequently sold for $88,000 to somebody, I think, over overseas. But they had a fully working DeLorean. I mean, with the time circuits and everything, the flux capacitor, the, the smoke came out of the back fins. They had Mr. Fusion. And I got to sit in the DeLorean and turn the switch and say time circuits on and turn all of them on and they made the sounds and everything. That was 
a really cool moment for me as a lifelong Back to the Future fan to be able to sit in there and really experience for the first time. It, it, it was pretty nuts. Okay, let's move on. Nicholas Morse wants to know, or asks, Eric Stoltz was the original Marty McFly. Stoltz would later go on to be one of the stars of Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino movie, recast Back to the Future with the cast of Pulp Fiction. Oh, that's a great one. Okay, so let me go pull up the cast of Pulp Fiction. Once again, I didn't screen these ahead of time, so I'm doing this all in real time. Okay, let's go to Pulp Fiction. Let's go to cast. Uh, Cast. Okay. Well... Obviously, Uma Thurman has to be, uh, she has to be Lorraine. Who else do we got in here? Eric Stoltz. You know what? Just to, just to have fun with it, Eric Stoltz is George McFly. <laughs> uh, man, Christopher Walken and Bruce Willis are both in that movie. That's crazy. Um, Christopher Walken is Principal Strickland. Um, I feel like Bruce Willis is Biff, which means John Travolta is Marty and Samuel L. Jackson is Doc. There we go. That's, that's my recasting. I actually kind of like that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is this it? No, that's the, is this it? Oh, there we go. I, I, I approve of my own, of my own casting there. That, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Okay. Okay. We had enough of it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, let's move on. Luke Allison. Luke Allison wants to know, not to win the lottery or bet on sports, but if you could travel back in time to either relive something or slightly alter an event in your life, where would you go? Slightly alter an event of my life or relive something. That's good. That's a really good one. Um, If I could go back in time, and relive anything. Hmm. Not to bet on sports. Okay. If I could go back in time and relive anything, it would probably be game four of the NBA Finals where the Houston Rockets swept the Orlando Magic where Hakeem proved his dominance over Shaquille O'Neal. Obviously, I was alive. I was very young, so I don't remember it. And I'm a huge basketball fan here in, in the city of Houston. I work for ESPN Radio, and I cover the Houston Rockets. So to be able to go back and relive that championship run and, and really, really, truly, and honestly experience it for the first time. I've gone back and watched watch the games, but to experience it for the first time, that would be pretty cool as a, as a Houston sports fan. You know, we don't get a lot of those moments. Astros gave us one, and, well, you know what happened. All right, let's go to Brand. No, here we yeah, let's go to Brandon. No, no, here we go. Uh, Jay Scotty St. Clair wants to know: Given the opportunity to time travel, would you choose to visit the past or the future? How far would you go into either? How far into either would you want slash be willing to go? Um, I'd like to go in the past. I I think that everyone would like to go into the future and see what happens, but. To be honest with you, the beauty of life is not knowing. And for me, like I would have never thought when I did the first episode of Back to the Future, the podcast, that I'd have a book out about Back to the Future, Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. 
available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and IndieBound.com. I never would have thought that. I never would have thought I would talk to Crispin Glover and and Jeffrey Wiseman, Claudia Wells, Harry Waters. I've talked sort of to Donald uh, Full of Love, who plays Mayor Goldie Wilson. Go check out that episode and story here in the archives. But um, yeah, I, I'd go back to the past. I'd want to see how my folks lived. You know, I, you hear stories about it, but I would like to really have seen what it was like in the 1940s, 50s. Even when my grandmother grew up and grandfather grew up in the 19 teens and 20s and 30s, I, w- I would really like to see that. No one ever really talks about the 1930s. Do you notice that? I feel like we never talk about the 1930s in America. I'd like to go back and, and see a little bit about the 1930s and see what all that was like. And, you know, you know, it'd be dope. 1939. Go see the world premiere of Wizard of Oz. Oh, that'd be dope. That'd be sweet. So I'd want to go to the past. And I'd only go however many years that is. 60 years, 70 years, 80 years in the, in the past. All right. Brandon Johnson says, If Doc knew about Marty's hand injury because of the accident with the Rolls Royce, why would he assume that the downfall of his future family was because his naive son got roped into gang activity in 2015? Because at the time... Because at that time, Marty was making an illicit deal with needles that was being scanned and scanned and resulted in him getting fired. Well, after he flushed his future down the toilet. Well, after he flushed his future down the toilet. Um, well, no, no, here's the thing. The Rolls Royce incident, yeah, Marty broke his hand and he wasn't a, a world famous rock star. But just because that didn't work out, um, I don't I don't think that. That was what caused his whole family to go, right? Because when you see, sure, is Marty the most happy individual in, in 2015? No. You know, Lorraine says he gave up on his music and, you know, whatever. You know, old man Biff says he flushed his life completely down the toilet. I don't know if that was a Biff impression. It sounds like something else. It sounds like a, a, a raspy Bernie Sanders. But I think that that sent his life down a different path, and I think that was what the moment was supposed to illustrate is, hey, you might have had these dreams as a kid. Something happened. It altered your life's trajectory. And now, though, you're still... Here's the thing. In 2015, his folks are still around. He's had two children. He's married. Before he, you know, gets into the deal with Douglas J. Needles, he, you know, he's doing okay in, in his life. It seems to be he's got a house in Hilldale, which isn't what he used to be, but still, he's got a house. He's got a home. He's not homeless on the street. He's got some money to him. Um... So I don't think that that was the event. The Rolls Royce event was what flushed his life completely down the toilet. I think it was the, the, the thing with his, with his kids because it's one thing for your dreams to be deferred. But it's another for your children to be in, in trouble. You want more for your kids. So I think Doc saw what happened to Marty's son and, and his daughter and said, okay, I can't let his... I can let him choose his own destiny, but I, I can't let his kids completely screw up their entire life and unravel their entire family history or, or what have you. So, I mean, I get where you're coming from, Brandon, but at the same time, I, I think that I think that I'm right. <laughs> Let's go to Kirby French. Have you seen this video? Do you have any thoughts on it? Oh, okay. I have seen this video. It's Back to the Future predicts 9-11. I'm not going to give this a whole lot of time because it's absolutely insane, silly, and ludicrous. This guy ties in too many small, minute details from the from the series, uh, like 
Marty's wearing a red shirt. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt is wearing a red shirt when he walks on a you know, tightrope between the twin, twin towers in the Robert Zemeckis movie. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And then like a, one of the scenes of, uh, in the scenery channel looks like towers burning up because it's going, it's, it's gross, it's despicable, it's disgusting. Um, don't pay any attention to that. It's, it's just somebody who had way too much time on their hands and trying to make something out of nothing and, and get views. And I shouldn't even even read that question. Jason Hicks, have you read the comics co-written by Bob Gale? They discuss the little sto- side stories and fan the- theories and do a fine job of it, like how Doc met Marty and how Doc got the money to afford the Hubbard conversion. Yeah, I've definitely read the comics. I haven't read them all. I want to go more into the Biff to the future. I read that pretty extensively for a chapter in my book, but I want to go back and read them all because I think there's a lot of a lot of fun stuff there, um, a, a lot of a lot of good stuff. That was some of the questions there. Let's go over to Twitter. I know we had a couple over on Twitter. Yes, we uh, Will the Wheelman Watson. Shout out to you, Will. I got to meet Will in um in Atlanta, Georgia, when I was hosting an event for the movie trivia Schmodown. He said, uh, "Could you see a okay? Could you see a reboot slash remake happening in the next ten years?" And who would you cast to play Marty, Doc, and Biff? Talked about this in recasting the future with Kevin Smets, but I'll answer it anyway. Marty would be Tom Holland. Doc, I think we went with Eddie Murphy. And Biff, I went with John Boyega from the from the new Disney Star Wars trilogy, the sequel trilogy. Um, now, let me pull up this article here. So this is an article from geekdad.com, and it says the top nine Back to the Future trilogy questions left unanswered. So, let us, and this was written on October October 21st, 2015, to be exact. So, this was uh, obviously one of the Future Day celebrations, uh, one of the articles that went up. So, let's see what the nine questions were. Let's start with number one. All right, here we go. Why does 2015 not change around Marty and Doc when Old Biff goes back in time to give his younger self the sports almanac? If Old Biff doing that created a new timeline and they stayed in the original one, how would they end up in the other one when they went back to 1985? If they can switch timelines, then how does Doc know that going forward to 2015 again won't switch them back again? Okay, it's a little confusing, but what he's asking is why doesn't 2015 change around Marty and and Doc when they're there in 2015 after old, old man Biff steals the time machine and comes back? Well, Geek Dad, I think that's a simple answer. That's not an unanswered question. That's a very simple one. We know from Back to the Future Part 1, time travel uh, and, and the altering of events in the past take a while to reflect in the future. For example, when Marty interrupts his, his mom and dad meeting for the first time, when Christmas being a peeping Tom, um, he doesn't disappear automatically. It, it takes several, several, several days, uh, almost a week, for him to start even showing signs of disappearing. And the filmmaker said that it takes time for those effects to, you know, go into place and and see what happens. So even though Marty, I mean, Old Man Biff does travel back to 1955, and that's a good 60 years, you know, for the time to catch up, you see Old Man Biff come back. And he hasn't completely been, nothing's changed in him, right? Old Man Biff was still the same Old Man Biff we saw leave. 
in the deleted scene in Back to the Future Part 2, which I talk about extensively in, in the book, in Chapter 5, Old Man Biff, American Time Story, and we talk about it in this podcast, we see him disappear. So we know something happened, but it, he didn't disappear immediately when he handed in the book. So time takes a while to come into effect. That's why time doesn't change around. The 2015 doesn't change around Marty and Doc when they're there. Okay, question two. We know despite his initial reluctance, Doc taped the note Marty gave him back together and read it. So the Doc we see at the end of the first movie knows that if the timeline goes as it originally did, he's going to be killed by terrorists on the night Marty goes back in time, and he knows what date that is. And the only thing he can think of to do is wear a bulletproof vest. He's astonishingly lucky that they didn't shoot him in the head, not to mention even wearing a bulletproof vest and getting shot that many times in the torso with a submachine gun would probably cause broken ribs or internal bleeding. Why not set a trap for the terrorist or, or even just maybe don't steal the plutonium from the terrorist in the first place? That is interesting. But again, we don't know when Doc opened that letter. Doc, the, the letter does say don't open until tw- in 1985. And that would, okay, here's the thing. Marty given Doc that letter in 1955. That means that future Doc knows, by having that letter, the future Doc knows he's going to invent a time machine. Perhaps that's why he spends the next 30 years trying to invent it. When he finally invents it and wants to unveil it to Marty and have the first temporal experiment, probably right before he goes to head to the Twin Pines Mall, or Lone Pines Mall, he opens the letter then because he's like, okay, I know I'm meeting Marty tonight. I know we're doing the temporal experiment. It's 1985. Let me open this letter. Opens the letter. Sees what it says, and so he takes. A, he thinks the only thing he can do it in short-term notice, and he gets a bulletproof vest. He knows that they shoot him in the chest, too, I think. Well, maybe he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. He knows he's going to get shot. He's assuming in the chest. He's making some assumptions. I see what the article's saying. He's making a couple of assumptions, but it worked out for him. Let's go to question three. What about the alternate Marty from the end of the first film? You know, the one who grew up with the confident dad and loving, supportive family and who knows Biff only as the goofy guy who washes the family's cars. What happened to what happened when he goes back in time? Did Doc give him a list of things he had to do in 1955 so the timeline worked out? Okay, including getting hit by his grandfather's car and making sure making out with his mother. Or does he go back to encounter the original Marty the same way? The original Marty does in part two. How does that affect the happenings in the past? And what happens in with, in and with, in and with, <laughs> if and when that Marty gets back to 1985? Does another Marty go back? Will Hill Valley of November 1955 over? Okay. This is one of those complex questions that people like to get into of Marty A, Marty B, Marty C, Marty D, Marty E. And there's actually a commercial out right now promoting a release of a toy line where all these Mo- Docs and, and Martys come back. And I think they even do that in the Back to the Future of the Game at one point. Toward the end of the game, you see all these different versions of Marty and Doc um, warning each other not to do this and trying to figure out which the original one. That's where time travel gets, it gets too tricky. And I don't overthink that. But to answer the first part, what about the alternate Marty from the end of the first film? He grew up with a supportive family. Um, 
I, you know, I don't know. I think this is sort of an unanswerable one because you just get into a paradox way too much. Question four. Why does Doc get so angry with Marty about the sports almanac? In the first film, when he says he's going to the future before he gets shot, he mentions finding out who won the next 25 World Series and pats the pocket where he put the notebook. So wasn't he planning to use that knowledge for personal gain? No, absolutely not. He definitely wasn't using that for personal gain. Not even close. Not even close. He just said, I, I'd like to see who wins the next 25 World Series. You know, he just wants to know. He's going in the future. He's obviously going to get future information. He just wants to know, and he just, I don't know, he pats the pocket. I, I don't think so. He wasn't going to do it for financial gain. He says that the reason he invented the time machine was to travel through time and learn about where we've been, where we're going, not for financial gain. When Doc accidentally went back to 1885 and sealed up the DeLorean in the mine so his 1955 self and Marty could find it, he surely would have done, he surely would have drained the gas tank. When you know you're leaving a car for 70 years, that seems pretty obvious. So what did he do with the gas? He didn't keep it in the case and, oh, he didn't keep it in case it might come in handy. Seems like unlikely for a guy who built a giant machine to make ice. No, I think if he did drain it, if he did drain it um, and get rid of it, because here's the thing. He left the time machine there for Marty and his 1955 counterpart to find it in the mine in 1955. He had no intention of ever going back to 1985. He wanted to live out the rest of his days in the Old West, like the letter said. So if he did drain it of gasoline, which would be the proper thing to do, any car person knows that, take the old gas out. He probably just poured it on the ground because he doesn't have any use for it. And he knows in 1955, there's going to be regular unleaded gasoline. So he doesn't have to preserve this gas for all these years. And, and it probably wouldn't even be, it still would be bad anyway. So uh, that, that, that's a silly question, Geek Dead. Nine, remember the Indians and the cavalry? Marty runs from the bear in the cave in the same direction they were going. When he falls down a hill into the fence at his great-great-grandfather's farm, how do the Indians and the cavalry not overrun and destroy the farm? Let's see. He falls. That is true. I don't know. I can't, I can't answer that question. That's a good question. That, that, that is an unanswered question. All right, number seven. What changed in Marty's mind between the first and second films, which aren't supposed to have any time between them at all, to prompt his inability to handle being called cowardly? There's not even a hint of that character flaw in the first film, but it's suddenly a huge plot point in the second and again in the third. Well, okay, this is an answered question. It's been answered by Bob Gale. We, we wanted to see, Marty didn't really have an arc, although he did. He learned that you shouldn't be afraid of rejection in the first movie, but by proxy of his father. But the... Um, Bob Gale said in the second, third movie, they thought that Marty should have a, a more of a, a more pronounced character arc, so they just put it in there. And here's the thing. No time passed between those movies, so we're still getting to learn Marty McFly. We don't know everything there is to know about him. Nobody really challenges his manhood by calling him yellow or chicken or coward or anything like that in Back to the Future Part 1. And he shows that he is not any of that by being very brave, taking out Biff in the 50s and Lou's Diner and all that. So we don't know that that's not something that he already has. We find out about it 
in Back to the Future Part 2, and we see him come to grips with it by the end of the third film. So I think that that question has been answered. Number eight, why does Marty's great-great-grandmother on his father's side look just like his mother? Okay, I know I have to answer this one because the filmmakers have discussed it. They wanted Leah Thompson in Part 3, and they thought, continue running Gattamore. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Supposed to be possible that George and McFly weren't distant cousins. I've heard this before, too. It's Once again, you're thinking too much about it. Nine. And there's there's just doppelgangers, too. Sometimes people just happen to accidentally look just like each other from different time periods. All right, last question. When the train hits and destroys the DeLorean at the end of the third movie, how is it such a minor event? I know DeLoreans weren't exactly the most robust of cars, but this one had a ton of extras added, including a miniature fusion reactor, but it just falls apart. The train doesn't even slow down. Train's going at least 90, right? Hits the DeLorean. It doesn't slow down, which is a little peculiar, but we know that in Back to the Future 2 where he goes... He's in a 46 Ford wearing a, he's in a 47 Ford, a 46 Ford wearing a DeLorean. He'll rip through us like tinfoil. So he's talking about the car that Biff was driving, right? That could rip through the DeLorean like tinfoil. Not the most robust cars. Even Doc knew that a, a simple automobile from the 1950s would rip through the DeLorean. I would assume that a massive multi-ton train traveling at upwards of 100 miles per hour would rip through the same DeLorean like tinfoil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those are the nine unanswered questions from Back to the Future on the geekdad.com website. I think the only one that I couldn't really figure out was, well, how come they didn't run over the Indians? That, that's a, that, The Indians and the uh, cavalry, how do they not run over the McFly farm from the future or from the past? I, that is a good question. That is a good one. I don't know the answer to that. But maybe one of you do. Thank you to everyone who sent in your questions. I'm going to be reaching out to the winner of a giveaway. I did do a giveaway. Um, so we will announce that here soon. Just stay locked to me on Twitter at Brad Gilmore. And I hope you've enjoyed these, you know, many different versions of Back to the Future, the podcast. Hopefully when times get to be a little bit no more normal, we'll have more normal podcasts going on. But until then, I'm your friend in time and I will see, I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and I will see you again in the future.